times with the things that he's observed under the sun and the things that he shows or has demonstrated to be uh, frustrating and in, in, in vain as far as finding meaning and purpose in the things under the sun. And so just a reminder of last week, last week we talked about at the close of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 how um, Solomon said had a couple wise uh, sayings for us or so, some tips on employing or giving out wisdom. And, and, and one of them was the fact that um, uh, one person can, can mess up the entire thing with selfishness. Uh, and we went to the Old Testament, the story of the battle at Ai, to, as, a, as a solemn reminder of what it could look like when someone who chose to be selfish in their desires really messed up the things of God's people. And then we tried to apply that to the New Testament context and how, although we don't, we're not under that um, the condemnation as the folks were in the Old Testament, uh, it's just a reminder how uh, just a good reminder for us to be selfless and not selfish. And we're just kind of building off of that this week. Uh, Solomon gives us in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 um, some more wise sayings. And, and basically he's, he's narrowing it down to the fact, again, we got to view him standing above uh, as the, the cynical um, um, guru in, in a crowd of young men. And he's trying to give them wisdom to life and and essentially, we can find there's two, two ways to life. And that's really what all of life seems to be about. We can, we can go tomorrow or Monday morning, we can go to our work or location or our home, and we can choose to, to, to pursue wisdom and righteousness, or we can choose to pursue foolishness and selfishness. There's really two ways of life for, for everybody. And, and so Solomon just reminds us of these things. And so verses 1 through 4, he gives us two paths that we, to, just as a reminder to us, that we can choose wisdom or, or foolishness. He says in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 10, Dead flies make a perfume's oil ferment and stink. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So here we have this perfume. It's... Smells great. Someone's gone through a lot of, and has uh, you know, used some expensive, however they make perfume, right, uh, flowers and and all that stuff to make this beautiful smelling perfume. But one one fly can ruin it all. And so he's trying to show us that a little folly can do that. With even though we might live our entire life with the desire to live, you know, with wisdom and honor, a little foolishness can often make great tidal waves in a person's life or in a community. Verse 2, a wise person heart, worth person's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart goes to the left. Again, demonstrating to us there's, there's two paths, right? We can choose foolishness or we can choose to pursue wisdom. And Solomon's giving this as wisdom for us. And so as we read through these tonight, my heart and prayers is that uh, through the, the Spirit will convict you of, of your need, as he did with me as I was studying this out this week, of, of um, just a reminder that every, every aspect of my life needs to be turned over to him, that, that I would pursue what is wise for his glory. We ended last week talking about the ultimate wisdom being Jesus Christ and our ultimate uh, meaning and fulfillment being found in living for God's glory. And so we can hold on to certain things 
um, for our own pleasures and, and not wield those over. And, and those are, that would be a, a foolish thing to do because in Christ is completeness and fulfillness and satisfaction. A wise person's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart goes to the left. We all have choices we must make in our walk in pursuit of Jesus and living our lives for the glory of God. Verse 3, even when the fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense. And he shows everyone he's a fool. So a foolish person, his, his, uh, his works will find himself out. As he's doing life, as he's walking down the road in this context, because he lacks sense, his, his actions will demonstrate to everyone around him that he is foolish. We might try to trick people, but ultimately, if we're pursuing wisdom, it'll shine through. Verse 4, if a ruler's anger rises against you, don't leave your post, for calmness puts great offense to rest. Again, it's a, another thing that Solomon suggested to us last last week that they you know to to a wise person considers what he says and doesn't yell like a like a, a mad ruler would the, to exert his dominance and power. Someone who yells and screams, trying to trying to get the point across, is uh, won't be listened to. But it's the one who's calm and and wisely puts forth the command. Again, if the ruler's anger rises against you. If the ruler's wrath comes to you or anger, don't let your post, don't leave your post for calmness puts great offense to rest. He's saying be calm, remain calm. That is what a wise person do, does. But in that instance, right, hothead Jared, your pastor, sorry to let you know that your pastor is a hothead, right, will often re- retaliate back. You know, you want to yell at me? I'm going to yell at you now. And um, as opposed to someone who's wise would would respond with calmness. And that puts great offenses to rest. Some good wisdom there. Verse 8, or the next point is, um, he starts in verses 8 through 11, talks about wisdom in our, in our work, in our labor, what we do out in this world, right? The one who digs a pit may fall into it. And the one who breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. That That's some really good wisdom for a young Guy, I mean, I just, I just remember so many times, just in my young twenties, just going out and just, just putting my head down like a bull in a china shop, and just and blazing, and you know, and trying to get things done, and just and not considering my ways, and not not being wise in my actions, and that's what he's warning us in this this verse. The one who digs a pit, the one who's digging and laboring, right. That person needs to, a wise person understands that he's actually creating danger for himself because he could ultimately fall in it if he's not careful. And the one who breaks through a wall, the one slamming through the wall and getting things done, well, you never know what might be on the other side of that wall. Maybe a snake or a mouse or something. All right. Um. I remember when I was younger, I, uh, this uh, guy called, the, I worked for the phone company, and he had two other technicians show up, and so a wire needed to be ran in, the, in the, his attic, and it was like 100 degrees in the summer. And the other two guys, and that was the company policy, was that we didn't, we didn't run wiring in the attic. 
you know, but I needed to prove myself. So I was going to do it. So I get up there and I'm, I'm running this wire in the attic and it's so hot and I'm getting weak and, you know, and I, I begin to lose my, my coordination, which I lack to begin with. And, um, I end up falling through the ceiling into the, and I remember her, his housekeeper looking up, screaming, going, ah, cause I'm dangling through, but because I didn't, you know, I wasn't wise. I, the other two guys were wise. They understood the, the consequences of, of striking out or trying to do things that are beyond their capacity and not wise to do. All right, wisdom in verse 9. Wisdom in your labor. Again, the one who quarries uh, stones may be hurt by them. All right, the stones that he's quarrying, those, those can easily um, come back and as he's breaking them apart. Uh, slam, fly up and hit him in the head or in, in the eye, something like that. The one who splits logs may be endangered by them. And that is true as well. I like this in verse 10. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. How true is that? Right? A wise person says, I am exerting a lot of effort to chop this tree down. Instead of swinging harder and harder and harder, maybe I just need to stop and sharpen my axe. <laughs> right? But a wise person would recognize that as instead of just well, of powering through it. The advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. However, the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. So to be wise is what he's calling us to do. In spite of its limitations, right, we have two paths. We can choose to, to be wise to, in our labors, to work smarter, not harder. It is often a saying that we would say in our culture, and that is to, to be wise in your, in your labors. Verse 11, if the snake bites before it is charmed, then there's no advantage for the charmer. You can be the best charmer in the world and maybe have too much confidence in your charming ability. I, I wouldn't know, but... Um, Obviously, he's saying here, if the snake has a chance to bite you before he's, that snake is charmed, then it doesn't matter how good you are. The damage has been done. And so a wise charmer would be careful of that. So some good sayings of wisdom regarding our labor and what we go out in this world, how we think about to be wise in our dealings and to work smarter, not harder, to be wise in our communication as well in verses 12 through 14. Wisdom in our communication with one another, with our co-workers, with our neighbors and friends. The words from the mouth of, the, of a wise person are gracious. Right? The person who is wise has gracious words to others. I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 3 when the, the Apostle Paul says we are to use our words to build one another up, not tear people down. The words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. Verse 13, the beginning of the words from his mouth, so this foolish person, it's, these words are consuming him. The beginning of the words from his mouth is folly, but the end of his speaking is evil madness. No matter what he says, it's a big word salad. He may be saying a lot of different things, but it's foolishness. And the end of his speaking is evil madness. Verse 14, Yet the fool, fool multiplies words. And no, is, no one knows 
what will happen? <laughs> and who can tell anyone what will happen after him? I'm just, I'm reminded of the fact that I'm a, I'm an audible processor or a verbal processor. So if I have something going on in my head and I want to figure out a, a solution to a problem or something, poor Tara, she'll be sitting in her room reading her book or something. I'll come in and I'll just start talking and not give her any context, <laughs> right? And, uh, and because I need to get it out to be able to, to see if it processes and if it, and so often it was, at first she didn't know what to do, but once she figured out that I'm a verbal processor, she, she now graciously just sits there and nods her head and then waits for the punchline. Say, okay, sounds great, right? That the fool multiplies words and no one knows what will happen and who can tell anyone what will happen after him. And we're going to jump down to verse 17. And this is another um, command that the Apostle Paul has given us to pray for our leaders, pray for everyone who's over us, that we might live, live peaceable lives in the New Testament context. But uh, Solomon says that we... we we are blessed if we have those that govern us. Those that govern us use and employ wisdom instead of foolishness. Blessed are you, land, when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time. We're blessed when the king is a son of nobles and they're taking their position seriously. And they feast at the proper time. They're not going out and feasting and seeking pleasure. And he says for strength. Because they're eating for proper strength. For, to strengthen themselves. To encounter the, um, the things that they are in charge over. And not for drunkenness. So they don't go to the feast to get drunk and have a good time. But they're going to the feast to be strengthened. To use what God has given them right, for energy and for strength. That's what a wise king or wise governing people would do, as opposed to just having parties of drunkenness and all that stuff. And because of and this, that's what, what that leads to the the leaders who just do that for a party and for drunkenness. It leads to them being lazy and neglecting the affairs of the things that they are charged over. Right, and he says in verse eighteen, because of laziness, the roof caves in, and because of negligent hands the house leaks so you get leadership or that's lazy enough and using their power and their influence and their money for the wrong things and not for governing right ultimately the consequences fall on the people that they govern the roof caves in and the house begins to leak so here we have some some great wise sayings here and uh, there's a few more that you can read for yourself to, to close the end of uh, the chapter. But obviously, we, as we've been going through Ecclesiastes, I always want to train, bring this about to the New Testament context. And so we've gleaned from Solomon that there's two paths. There's always two paths that we can choose in our own life. We can choose wisdom or we can choose folly and we can, we can choose to, to, to pursue getting high on drugs and that's all that matters and that's where we find our pleasure. But that's foolishness, Right? But that that's what we choose, that's, that's where we will go. And we can put anything on that idol, the altar of idolatry. On a, it reigns our hearts and we can, we can pursue those things instead of, in the, from the New Testament context, living our lives for Christ.
and finding meaning and purpose and glorifying Him in our lives and choosing to do that as opposed to choosing to live, as we closed last week, selfish lives for our own pleasure, for our own gain. And as Jesus said, for those who lose their life for my sake, they will find it. That's when we find true meaning and purpose is when we try to die to ourselves and and seek after God. And these are the teachings of the New Testament for us in the New Testament context. For those of us who are in Christ, um, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, I believe, talks about seeking the narrow gate. Go to the narrow gate. That's the eternal life. That is where God has allowed us to be able to find meaning and purpose through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But broad, he warns us, broad is the gate and wide is the path that leads to destruction. And so we have this wonderful opportunity to declare to the world that there are two choices. There are two paths, the, the narrow gate and the wide gate through the gospel. And meaning and purpose and salvation is found in the narrow path in Christ. But we see, especially, I mean, all in all the Gospels, right? Because they're recording of Jesus' historical account, his account here in his earthly ministry. But in John, we see again and again, Jesus demonstrating to them that he was indeed the Messiah. He had the power over creation and, and healing the sick. And, and yet people chose to, to deny him. And that's how John opens up his Gospel in John chapter 1 after declaring Jesus to be not only the Word that was with God, but the Word that is God, God in the flesh, the second person of our triune God, took upon flesh and dwelt among us. And John writes, He was in the world, and the world was created through Him, and that the world, yet the world did not recognize Him. He came to His own people, and His own people did not receive Him. They chose Everyone has two paths. They chose to reject Him. Verse 12. Some chose to reject Him, but others chose to receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, He gave Him the right to be the children of God, to those who believe in His name. Amen? Salvation is a Another choice, two different paths. All of us who are presented with the gospel must choose. And as we, as we choose Christ and believe on His name, the call is to follow Him. The call is to seek after Him, to deny yourself and to follow after Him for His glory. And so we're just going to spend the next couple of weeks as we've just developed this idea that Solomon's ultimately bringing us to the conclusion that the only meaning and purpose that can be found in this life is to, is to fear God and, and keep His commands to live for Him. And the New Testament calls us to that as well. But I want to, I want to get granular as far as what does it look, what does it look like? We can, I can say we need to live our lives for the glory of God until I'm blue in the face, but what does that mean? How does that work out itself out practically and applicably in our lives? How do we do that? And so t- this week and next week and maybe the third week um, as we close, we're going to discuss what it looks like to glorify our lives for the glory of God. Paul starts out by saying this. He testifies, he gives us his testimony of what it looks like for him to live his life for the glory of God. 
He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul sold out. He says, I'm living for Christ. I am dead in Christ, and I, it's not, I'm no longer living, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live is by faith in the Son of God. That's where it starts. That's where it starts with Paul. That's where it starts with all of us. We must encounter Jesus in a saving way and placing our faith and trust in Him. And that faith and trust will most manifest itself when the trials come. Because it will show us what we're truly depending on. And he says, I'm living by the faith, my faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The writer of Hebrews says this, what does it look like to glorify our, our God in our lives? He says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses, this large cloud of witnesses that he's talking about, he's referring to the previous chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, where he lists this long chapter of people who, by faith, trusted and believed God's promises in spite of what they were encountering in this world. And he lists these people again and again, these Old Testament saints who, who by faith, trusted in God. So again, even those people in the Old Testament live their lives by faith in God and His promises. And so he says, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and so this is what he says to do. Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. How do we glorify God? We set aside those things that, are, that we find we keep returning to in the hopes that it's going to give us pleasure and we're never satisfied. We set aside those things. We set aside those acts that are a rebellious act against our, our God. And Paul, or not Paul, the writer of Hebrews, I just slipped about who I thought the writer of Hebrews was, but we don't know for sure. So just a little caveat. Um, the writer of Hebrews says, he frames this, this passage in, in like a race, a race that we run, right? So imagine picking, going to run a race and you, you grab a backpack out of the car and it's full of, of weight and, and stone. And you put that on your back and then, then you're going to run a race and, and you see that it's hindering. It, that would greatly hinder someone to be able to, to, to finish the race and to run the race the best that they can. And that's what he says sin and, and those things that um, ensnare us does to us. It hinders our ability to walk and to pursue this race that Christ has called us to. So let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, he says. Verse 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Amen. He frames that as a race, but this is the race. As we walk in life, our focus must be on him. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Because He is our author and perfecter of our what? Our faith. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer. That's the CSB translation. The um, New American Standard, I believe, says author and perfecter 
of our faith. Not only is the author of our faith, but he's the perfecter of it. He's allowing the trials as the writer of Hebrews will go on in Hebrews chapter 12 to demonstrate to us that he uses those things to, to perfect our faith. The things that I'm sure all of us have testimony of the things that we've gone through in the past were so difficult and so hard. But at the same time, I'm so grateful with hindsight looking back because God was all over that. And my faith is more established because he was there with me in those times. And he uses those trials to perfect that faith. So we're to run this race. We're to set aside those things. This is what it looks like to glorify God in our lives. And he did that for the joy that labors before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He, he endured the cross and the despising and the, the, God's judge, the Father's judgment. All that, he did that for the joy that lay before him. The fact that all of us in this room can hear the gospel declaration that Jesus died for them, then we can be adopted and added into God's family for all of eternity. And that's why the New Testament tells us to live our lives for His glory because of what He's done for us. That's the motivation. I always want to keep our, check our motivation, keep our motivation in check. I never want to stand up here and be moralistically saying, hey, you guys need to buck up and live more you know, righteously. Do a better job at showing how, what, Jesus, what Jesus followers look like. Right? Our motivation is what Christ has done for us. And as we dwell on that, as we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, right? Looking unto Jesus. What has He done? May that be the motivation for us to to die to self and live for God. The Apostle Peter writes this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So in all three examples, what is the foundation? Our faith in Christ. We can't miss that. We start with faith. We we can't live our lives for the glory of God without encountering Jesus in a saving way and being given a new heart, being made a new creation in Christ. And the Holy Spirit who comes in and God, the third person of our triune God, indwells the heart of every believer who has encountered Jesus in that saving way and has believed. God indwells us. We are now the temple of God. And that is through our faith by believing. And that is the foundation. And so we can't do any of this without first encountering Jesus in that saving way. Otherwise, we're just being moralistic religious people. And I'm trying to be done being a moralistic religious person. I want to pursue Christ. I want to live for His glory because of what He's done for me. And I may not do it very well, but I want to. And I know it's Jesus doing that within me. God doing that within me. As we'll cover at the end here. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control. What does it look like to live our lives for the glory of God? This is what it looks like. Take our faith, the foundation, and add these things to it. Self-control, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Endurance. Endurance leads to godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. 
these things that will happen as we keep our eyes on Jesus, as we pursue and walk in this world to glorify God and keep our focus on Him, these are the things that God says we are to add to, to glorify Him. He says in verse 8, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep your faith from being useless. Right? We can very well encounter Jesus in a saving way and then just live our lives as a bump on the log and not living our lives for the glory of God. And we have squandered a great opportunity to reflect God's love and compassion in our lives. And that's what Peter's saying. If we do these things, if we pursue these things, and increase in our measure as we walk with Jesus through the years, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to glorify God in our lives? This is just a small picture. Next week we'll kind of get a little bit deeper into to what it looks like. But again, I always want to take us back to the understanding that we can't do it in and of ourselves. That's why Jesus had to come and die for us because we, we couldn't save ourselves and we certainly can't make ourselves righteous and holy like God is holy. We can't do it. And that's why it's just an amazing under, comprehension of what salvation has offered us as far as the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. A Holy Spirit who desires to use effectual grace, God's unmerited favor there in our lives to transform us into the image of Jesus as what? We pursue Him. As we keep our eyes on Him. As we run the race that He's put before us. As we attempt to put aside the sin and the things that are keeping us down and, and hindering our walk with Him. That's what it looks like to, to live in the fear of God and to live for His glory. But it's the Spirit who does it within us. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, I am sure of this, that He, that's God, who started a good work in you if you've encountered Jesus in a saving way. He's giving you the Spirit of God. Paul says, He who started a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so that's the good news this evening. Is yes, God wants us to pursue Him and, and to live for His glory, but He's, he's given us the means to do so. The Spirit des- desires to produce this fruit in our lives, but we must cooperate with Him and choose to, to glorify God and to daily die to self. And that's what it looks like to glorify Him in our walk. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity, God, to... See your goodness that you've given us, Lord, and not only salvation, but the fact that all of us have encountered Jesus in that saving way. At that very time, Lord, our salvation has started right there, and you are now doing a work inside of us through the power of the Spirit, through the proclamation of your word, which is the sword of the Spirit, Lord. You, you desire us to transform us into Jesus. You've called us to live our lives for your glory, to glorify us in everything that we glorify, not glorify us, but glorify you in everything that we do. But you've not left us alone to do it in and of ourselves. You've given us such great, uh, the down payment of our inheritance, the third person of our, of our God who wants to do it in our hearts, Lord. And so we just, we start tonight, God, by just surrendering 